0: Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wido. Now, when, where along the way did you get your first significant belly flop?
1: So I would say, you know, it's funny, plant money is both my greatest success, but in some ways... I do look back at it as a bit of a personal, as pit, bits of it. I don't want to overstate it because I'm very proud of myself in it, but I really don't like who I became for part of that. So that, I had external success. But when
0: did you realize that? When did you realize that? At what point? And was there an incident or something where, you know, you hear about the guy that uh, he drinks a lot and then he drinks more and then all of a sudden he has a, comes home from a party and runs into a tree and he said, okay, that does it. I got it. That's rock bottom. Yeah. yeah. I struck bottom. So, what uh, was there any incident or something like that, or just over a feeling came to you over time?
1: Yeah, I think a few things come to mind. And I do want to be clear I was not like. Right. Yeah. You know, you hear about these horrible stories. Like, I don't think I did anything fireable or.
0: You weren't throwing bowls of cereal up against the wall when the secretary brought it in and it was cold milk rather than warm milk. Like we've had. Right, right, right. (laughs) <laughs> we had a CEO do that once, but...
1: Yes, no, I was not throwing anything. I was not, I was definitely not being inappropriate in any way. It was just, I had a boss who said to me, Adam, I keep hearing that people think you're arrogant. And I said, oh, I know why that is. It's because I think I'm better than them and I make sure they know it. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. I think I kind of liked that for a while. I liked feeling, you know, cock of the walk, the big shot, like I'm the best guy around here. You know, there's, but there were a couple incidents. So one incident was just, we had a meeting with the whole team and it was to promote a new idea. We wanted them to do something different. And I had this thing about people being late to meetings. I just found it disrespectful and infuriating. Right. So the meeting was supposed to start at whatever it was, two o'clock. And people kind of rolled in around 2.05. It wasn't like they were 40 minutes late. They were like five, you know, just... And I just started yelling, like, do you know how hard I've worked for this meeting? Do you know how well? And you don't even have the decency. And I don't even remember what the initiative was, but it just ruined the day for everybody. It just meant, I think, and I hate to admit this, but it was a a realization that I'm not going to get what I want that way. Like there, yeah. then I had a smaller moment where one of my reporters, who's really brilliant, was I was telling her how to do a story. Like, I was like, you should do it this way and this way and this way. And she just finally said, your idea is probably better than my idea, but I can only do my idea. I can't do your idea. She was pretty smart. (laughs) She was pretty smart. Yes. And then, then I realized I was really intimidated by her, that she was better than me. And I couldn't, I had to learn to be okay. Now, later I learned, like, it's great when you, your team is better than you. Like, that's the best possible situation. right? But it, that, I remember like really just being jealous and threatened and upset that I almost like she was being better than me at me like she was attacking <laughs> me with her goodness and I'm just and I had to learn to not only accept that she was better than me at a lot and but that's great so that was a big but my biggest belly flop was I started a podcast company Sony Music invested in it and i lost 9 million dollars of their money and the company went bankrupt and it was all my fault 100%. so that happened not that long ago that that was like 2019 to 2021.
0: and how did looking back on that where would you say was the fork in the road that you took or that got you off track that set the pattern going in the wrong way was it right from the beginning or halfway through it or
1: yeah I remember early, like right in the beginning, a friend being like, you've already, he was kind of being a smart ass, but he was like, you've already ruined this company and you don't know how. <laughs> and he was right, actually. And it was a combination of things. I mean, we, the whole podcast industry, as you probably know, has changed a lot in the last few years. Right. And, I mean, along with Sony, I had developed a theory of the case, like how we're going to succeed. And it was really all about really expensive, highly produced podcasts. And our theory was that there's gonna be so many new podcasts that only the really highly produced ones are gonna succeed. And that had been true, that highly produced, I mean, like, you're editing them for months sometimes. I mean, they're really like more documentary than podcast. And that had worked, that it—that was Planet Money, that was This American Life, that was Serial, that was... And I think what we hadn't understood I think we fundamentally misunderstood the medium, probably in a way that you do understand it, that people like an immediacy in podcasts. They don't, it's not, you know, people don't seem as drawn to those kind of carefully produced shows, but also they're just crazy expensive. I mean, our average price per episode was $46,000. Wow. I'm guessing you don't spend $46,000 wow. on each episode. Right. You certainly haven't offered me 46000 So Yeah. And that just puts a pressure on cuz we were still just ad supported like if you're less than 500,000 listeners you're not breaking even right and we weren't getting anywhere near 500,000 listeners
0: it's hard to get uh on the on ramp onto the interstate and have 500 uh listeners
1: <laughs> yeah exactly that, exactly you have to build to that, isn't that right? you have to build to that and so there was a fundamental bad strategy but that's survivable if you've built an organization that can adjust strategy. And I hadn't done that. I had really built a team that really could just do this one thing and could not do another thing. And then I hadn't really built, I was so obsessed with not being a jerk. I was just obsessed with it. I went to anger management training. Like I really wanted to be a good guy and which is not a bad thing. I'm not against being a good guy, but I had a content vision, which was, basically. Like, let's do business shows that are more accessible, but more, I mean, kind of like what you do, more like Planet Money is a news, a business news show. I wanted to do, you know, more news you could use, like shows that would be useful to business people. But I hired a bunch of young people who didn't want to do that. They wanted to do other things. So I let them do what they wanted to do. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. The pendulum swung the other way. Yeah, it ran completely the other way. And I just allowed, so I had the wrong strategy, but I also had the wrong tactics. And I had the wrong leadership model. And it's not, oh, I should have been a jerk. That's not the answer. But the answer is I should lead. A leader should lead. And shouldn't, like, probably the team wanted leadership. They don't.
0: Yeah. And the leadership thing is you got to get results. (laughs) And even if you go, you know, the thing is, if you go overboard and you're a jackass, at least you can apologize. But if you get the results, you still live to fight another day. But, uh, you know, what I'm saying is. I used to say, I'm happy to do a lot of apologizing, but the one thing I'm not happy about is failing, you know?
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) And then the last thing is we just weren't monitoring KPIs, OKRs. We just weren't, we knew the numbers. So we would look at our audience numbers. We'd look at our revenue numbers, but we weren't scheduling in like real bottom-up review. We sort of were on autopilot, Okay. With this strategy. And I was kind of waiting for someone else to do it. I was sort of what. And so by the time we really sat down and looked at the numbers, like it was pretty much game over already. Like, and we could. And now, now part of that is that it was COVID. Like we were 2020 was really challenging because we had built a whole portfolio of shows, all of which were undoable in COVID because they were all basically flying people around to go interview people. Yeah. And so we had spent six months in 2019, early 2020, building a whole portfolio of shows. Then we had to spend just as much time undoing a bunch of shows because there were all sorts of contracts and legal issues. And then we had to build some COVID-friendly shows. So it's understandable, I think, that I lost, that I didn't, I'm not trying to give excuses. Like, I think a good leader could have walked and chewed gum at the same time. But sometimes when I tell the story, I almost feel like, is it even believable that someone would be this bad a CEO? But <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was end of December when, like, I called for like a thorough review uh, of all our base assumptions. What
0: do you think your friend saw that early in the game that was a red flag to him? You ever thought about that?
1: Yeah, actually, I never have. That's a really good question. If I had to guess, it would be that I was too quick to give up my vision. Uh, that I was, yeah, that would resonate with an outsider. Yeah. You yeah. know,
0: he knows you, you probably told him how the vision this and the other. He sees you're off track. Like that would resonate, I think.
1: Yeah. Cause when he would ask me like what I was up to, you know, I'd say, well, this person wants this and this person wants that. And Sony wants this. Right. And in a way, like, who cares? Right. Like right. if, <laughs> or like that's information, but yeah. that's not.
0: Yeah. What everybody wants is at bottom line is a win. And you're the, really the only one who
1: can make that happen. Yeah. And it also, like, it's self-defense. You know, it's like dating someone and just whatever they say. Oh, I like classical music, too. Oh, you like jazz? I prefer jazz. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> a vegetarian? I'm a vegetarian. Oh, you want steak? I'll eat steak. You yeah. know, it's just not an appealing person.
0: And then you break it back. It becomes obvious. <laughs> it's a nose in your face, like uh, trying to please all the people all the time. You know, it becomes like, yeah. oh, that's what I was doing. Yeah. And Adam, that's one of the benefits of what comes from having these shows where we're talking about winning is a lot of the times the lessons are right in front of you and you just don't see them. You know what I'm saying?
1: In fact, yeah, exactly. They're
0: probably lessons that you wrote a friggin' book on. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Actually, literally, by the way, literally, I wrote the book, The Passion Economy, which is about how to succeed in business, you need to have a distinct, unique vision and you need to pursue that vision. And that at the core of any business is how do you uniquely add value to your customers. So yes, I literally, I had never thought of that until this moment, but I literally wrote the book on it. <laughs> Having the <passion>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you read The Passion Economy, it's like how not to do what Adam did. That is exactly, I had never thought of that. That's funny. And now I talk, because I have some time, like, I'm able to talk about all this. I'm able to laugh about it. I'm able to see it with a kind of clarity. It's not even a mystery. But obviously, I mean, I went through incredible embarrassment, shame, despair, anger. I really, one really tough thing about being a CEO is there's just nowhere to hide. Like, I want to blame others. I want to blame this one and that one. And it's not that no one did anything wrong. It's that I built that team, I structured how that team was gonna to work together, I made all the key decisions and I need to own that. That is my, like, I can't move forward in the world. My son's 12, I'm constantly talking about that with him is, cause like a lot of kids, oh, it's not all my fault that broke. And it's like, you don't have to like flagellate yourself, you don't have to be miserable, you're not going to prison, but you gotta own it, you gotta own your mistake.
0: It seems like in the career you've chosen, you get involved in a whole lot of things. For, here we took podcast, book, working around the world, magazines, uh, you know, different moving up the ladder. But I see on here your one thing is you worked on the the movie, The Big Short.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was
0: amazing. What was that experience like? And what did you learn from that? Why did they have you involved in that
1: anyway? Because you were a financial guy? Yeah. My brother Eben is a Hollywood guy. He works in Hollywood and he was at Paramount Pictures at the time, which produced the put out the Big Short, and he had a meeting with Adam McKay, who was in the early stages of writing and directing the Big Short. And Adam McKay was talking about he's doing this movie. He doesn't fully understand all the finance stuff. And you know, at the time, Adam McKay had, you know, he was famous for he was Will Ferrell's creative partner, so he'd done Anchorman and Talladega oh, really? okay. and the other guys. And and so my brother was like, oh, you should talk to my brother Adam. He knows that finance stuff. And Adam and I, like, we arranged a phone call, and Adam McKay and I, and it was the kind of thing. I think he thought I was going to be some boring, like, Wall Street guy, and he was just going to ask a few questions. I thought he was going to be, like, a dumb Hollywood guy who was going to. I'd had other calls with Hollywood people who didn't really actually care that much about, but we hit it off, like, big time. And we're actually still very close friends and have worked on other things together. But as he was writing the movie, you know, I was sort of his ongoing resource on what's happening. If you remember in the movie, there's all these different teams of people who are basically taking all these views on these very complex financial instruments. So I would basically just, McKay's super smart, but he just wasn't deeply, he didn't know that material well. And I knew it very well from my time covering the financial crisis. Also, I would just walk him through all that. And the jargon. I mean, I feel like a lot of it was translation. It was like, Yeah. And I actually did that on set, too, because the actors, you know, it's like acting in a play in Turkish when you don't know a word of Turkish. Like they, you know, if you're suddenly saying, well, I'm worried about the mezzanine tranche of these collateralized debt obligations. If you don't know what any of that is, like, where do you put the emphasis? Right. Exactly. How do you feel about this? You know, so I worked with the actors, like, translating it. Brad Pitt, who was awesome, everybody, all the actors were so professional, so, like, generous and nice. I mean, it was amazing. It was really one of the great experiences of my life. And so Brad Pitt was sort of accidentally, we had given him some really long technical lines. And so we were sort of rewriting the lines on the fly, which was really fun. There's tape somewhere out there of Brad on set going, Davidson! (laughs)